Remember that movie from the 90s called The Sixth Sense? It starred Bruce Willis, who plays a child psychologist, Dr. Malcolm Crow. I looked it up, who takes on a new client, a little boy named Cole who sees dead people. Remember that movie? Here's a spoiler, though. So if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense, you might want to skip ahead 15 or so seconds. But the movie is heartbreaking and creepy because this poor little boy, Cole, struggles with these terrifying visitations from ghosts. And these ghosts aren't like cute, you know, Casper, white little phantasms floating through the air. No, they're they're literally like gory people that are coming back to visit this little boy in all of their gnarliness post-mortem. You know what I mean? And as the viewer, we watch as this little boy is alone with these awful experiences because he's the only one that can see the ghosts, right? So enter Dr. Crow, which is Bruce Willis's character, and we watch because we're so relieved. Thank God Cole has this child psychologist, Dr. Crow, who's finally able to work with him. And even though Dr. Crow doesn't really believe the ghosts are real, at least Cole has an adult on his side who's trying to help. And Dr. Crow is just so dedicated to the case and the child, and he thinks about him and he strategizes and he's really giving it everything he's got. But in the final scene, we find out that Dr. Crow is a dead man. We find out that Dr. Crow isn't like an adult who's been hired to help this little boy. We realize he's one of the ghosts who've been visiting little Cole. And he's been dead the entire time, which is why the boy has been talking to him. And not only are we, the viewers, blown away by this revelation, so is Dr. Crow. He just can't believe he's been dead this entire time. He, you know, all this time, he thought he was outside of Cole's problem. He had no idea that he was 100% representative of Cole's problem. Friends, that is exactly how I have felt over the past few weeks, except instead of realizing that I'm actually a dead woman, luckily I'm not a dead woman, I've been realizing that I am a part of a system built on the presumed supremacy of white people. Instead of waking up and realizing I'm dead, I woke up and realized that despite being liberal, always voting Democrat, voting twice for a black president, despite thinking I wasn't a part of the problem of racism in this country, I now realize I most certainly am. Watching George Floyd get murdered in cold blood on camera, hearing of Breonna Taylor, an innocent American woman, get gunned down in her own apartment, these stories were devastating. But it was always sort of easy to compartmentalize it as other, as, as you know, these aren't my fault. These have nothing to do with me. These have to do with a corrupt or, you know, misshapen police force that's built on systemic brutality and racism. Like, that's not me. That's them. But because of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the Elevate Melanated Voices movement, which was a movement on social media that encouraged white or non-black Instagram uh, users to mute themselves for a week so that we could listen to people of color, because of those movements, I started to learn and if you're listening to this episode and you're a person of color, I want you to know this, this episode is really aimed at my fellow non-black listeners. If you're, if you're black and you're listening to this, you've been through enough. You know, you don't need to hear my experience. In fact, I, I more need to hear yours. 
So if you want to bow out now, please be my guest, take care of yourself. But if you're listening to this and you're non-black, huddle up because I've, I've learned some stuff and it might be helpful for you to learn too. One of my favorite mantras in life is this one. Sometimes I'm a teacher and sometimes I'm a student. And good God, have I been a student lately. I've learned way too many things to count, but I'm going to share the top three things I've learned in the past few weeks in case they resonate for you. The first thing I've learned, I live in a white-centered world. The dominant filter through which I perceive reality is a white filter. What does that mean? It means that I have been raised on information pertaining to Western European achievements, white history, white artists, mostly male. I've been taught to value the white version of the English language and to devalue African-American vernacular English. Beyond the two or three most famous black people in history, let's say Martin Luther King, Harry Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Malcolm X, I struggle to name other famous black figures. My beauty standards are white-centric. Most of my role models are white. If you look at my podcast, my guests have been overwhelmingly white. My Instagram feed, white. My bookshelf, mostly white. My friend group, mostly white. My politicians, mostly white. My doctors, dentists, OBGYN, teachers growing up. I mean, we could do this all day. My point is this. It's not my fault that I was raised in a white-centric society. It's not my fault that I have blonde hair and blue eyes and happen to line up with sort of this unspoken standard of what it means to be pretty. My point is this. Until recently, whiteness was the air I breathed. I wasn't even aware of it. But the point of this exercise isn't to find fault. It's to find truth with a capital T. And living in a white-centric world is to live in a state of partial truth. In other words, a white-centric worldview is not an accurate representation of reality. And by staying in this warped, incomplete version of reality, I become complicit in the damage done to people of color as a result of this warped, incomplete version of reality. Damage in the form of devastating policy at every level of government, education and healthcare, damage in the form of unconscious bias in how I live my life, damage done at every conceivable level of human life. So I'm working right now on opening the aperture of my perception to take in the world as it is, full of diversity and people who look nothing like me, sound nothing like me. And I come into that world, that broader world, with the humility of a student, with tremendous respect and openness. This means I'm following new teachers and influencers on social media. This means I'm filling my bookshelf with authors of color. I cannot recommend Layla F. Saad's work on white supremacy highly enough <laughs> to that end. It means I'm absorbing content online, like The Great Unlearn from Rachel Cargill. I'm trying to learn more about African I'm trying to learn more about American history, not just the whitewashed version of it. I mean, if, if you're down and you want to go on this journey with me, get ready to feel like Bruce Willis, <laughs> realizing he's a dead man once you start really digging into American history. Talk about an eye-opening experience. 
So that's the first thing. I'm learning that I that I have up until now lived in a white-centric, quote-unquote, reality. That's the first thing I've learned. And I'm making efforts to shift out of that. The second thing I've learned is that I'm learning to really work with shame. You know, I thought I had a handle on it. I've done the work with Brene Brown. I've done the work on my own personal shame. But there is no shame, like the shame of waking up and realizing you're part of a system of white supremacy. The thing about talking to white people about race is that we get very fragile very quickly. Some of us get very angry and shouty and defensive. Some of us go all the way to the role of victim, even crying. We take everything very personally, and perhaps we should. You know, perhaps the progress of this begins when we do internalize the criticism and see our personal role in it. But I think we become very fragile as white people when we learn about the nature of reality because we feel shame. We feel ashamed that we've benefited and profited from the systems remaining as they've been. We worry that we'll lose our standing, our benefits, that we'll drift to the bottom of the opportunity line and we don't like it. And then we feel shame. And that shame is so painful I think we become like wounded animals trying to kill anything in sight to sort of protect ourselves. I'm now living what it feels like is a masterclass in owning and processing that specific shame. And the thing I've discovered is that this shame feels like an indictment of my personhood and my worthiness. Like I'm not worthy of this awesome vision board I've constructed and that's been hanging on my bulletin board because I'm benefiting from a racist societal construct. That vision board works for me because the society looks at me and opens doors. I have been raised or I've raised myself in the new age philosophy that to a large extent, I create my own reality and I attract the opportunities I want. And I'm, you know, living my purpose, you know, consciously and so on. And that belief isn't wrong necessarily, but that belief is born of privilege. It is so much easier for someone like me to make their dreams come true than it is for a black woman to make her dreams come true. Look at Breonna Taylor. She was sleeping in her fucking house and the police shot her and killed her. And still not one person has been arrested. How do I gaze lovingly at my pretty vision board while knowing a woman like Breonna Taylor never got to realize her dreams because she was a black woman. And because of that, she didn't have the same respect for her life that I enjoy as a white woman. It's enough to make me feel a deep sense of self-loathing, a deep sense of unworthiness. <laughs> Here I go with the tears and a feeling downright despicable. It makes me feel like a fraud. My status as a middle-aged white woman affords me so much privilege. I could walk into a bank with a gun and officers would tackle me to the ground, take the gun from my hand and make sure I didn't hit my head on the roof of the police vehicle as they took me to jail. But if I were black, I'd be dead before my third step into the building, probably. It makes me sick. It just makes me sick. It is wrong. And it makes me feel enraged. Until all of us are afforded the same respect that white people are afforded, we can't call ourselves a civilized society. 
we can't lie to ourselves that America is the land of opportunity because right now it isn't. It's the land of shoot first, ask questions later if you happen to have non-white skin. And it is outrageous that people like me are only just now really waking up to it. Lastly, Black Lives Matter. It isn't just a hurricane in the news cycle, soon to be replaced by yet another news item. It is the beginning of something and the end of something. And we are either a part of the solution towards equality or we are a part of the problem. We are either part of the solution by staying engaged, listening to leaders of color as they guide us toward dismantling systemic white supremacy and taking whatever lumps we have coming, or we are part of the problem of white supremacy, either by our silence, our insistent ignorance, or by our dismissiveness. We will get our asses kicked when we get things wrong, say something hurtful, or do unintentional harm. Of course we will. And guess what? Tough shit. We can't be that fragile. We need to get thicker skin if we want to be part of the solution of equality and justice. And for me, I want to be a part of the solution. And if you've made it this long into this episode, I'm guessing you do too. And look, I'm going to, in my show notes, list out all the resources that I've been learning from people that I am now patronizing on Patreon in the truest sense of the word. It's not enough just to follow for free these men and women doing the work of educating white people like me on anti-racism. We need to financially support these people. That is part of creating economic justice. So get onto Patreon and pay for the content you are consuming. It feels good. It feels right. And if we want to be anti-racist, we have to put our money literally where our mouth is. Where our mouths are, you know what I mean. So if you want a list of all that stuff, head over to my website, sign up for my show notes, and you'll get them. But also be on the lookout for a more diverse set of podcast guests on my show. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for that. Because the time is now, friends. We're either part of the solution or we're part of the problem. Let's do this. Shine on you crazy diamonds. I'll see you next time. Black Lives Matter. <laughs>